At least I did. I don't know about the other two on the team. I don't know when they got home. But anyway, uh, it, it was a long journey. But thank you for praying for us. Uh, we feel it was a very productive time. Uh, we were, had the privilege to spend some time with Brandon and Tammy. Uh, and then also made our way down to southern part of Africa, or the continent anyway, and uh, visited with the Carpenters. And uh, they both send their love to the church and are so thankful for your prayers. We, uh, we do ask you to continue to pray for them. Uh, some of you may not know it, but Brandon and Tammy uh, left right after we left them. We made our way down to Zambia. They left for Nepal to, to go to Nepal. And so uh, they'll be returning in the next couple of days, I think. Is that right, Dan? When do they get back? They get back to, to Jordan tomorrow. So be praying for them. And then also Greg Davenport uh, just got back from Nepal uh, doing some recovery things there. How long were you there? Greg, a little over two weeks. He looks tireder than we do. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. You do look tired. But anyway, <laughs> but uh, it, it, is, it is really cool that we wound up being at the same airport up in, up in New York at the same time, uh, all of us trying to make our way back home. But uh, please continue to pray. Uh, we'll give you more information about our trip in about the next couple of weeks once we kind of figure out what happened too. We're still digesting all this, but uh, thank you for praying for Dan and Jeremy and myself. Uh, we made uh, quite a team and left quite an impression on the places that we went, trust me. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Well, many of you know the song. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Okay, I love the second phrase, or the second part of the song. If the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on the tag. How I many of you remember that song? Obviously, some of you do, because you sang it, all right? Or you said it, whatever you did. Anyway, you're going to notice through this sermon that I'm probably going to black out a couple of times. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, pray that we can get through this, and I can, anyway. Can you guess which fruit we're looking at today? We heard it in the songs that were chosen this morning. We heard it in our little song here. Today, we are looking at the fruit called joy. Now, if you were on trial as to whether you were a follower of Christ or not, what would be the evidence that could be presented that would demonstrate that you're a Christian? Now, think about that. You're on trial, and, and, and it's not your, your testimony of just saying something is not all that needs to be said. There needs to be proof of this life. What could they bring up about you? Now, when you look at Galatians chapter five, you're looking at something that Paul says is very important to be at play in our lives. And so Galatians chapter five, look at verse 22. Many of you have learned, knew this verse since you were children, but the Bible says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are things that should define who a Christian is or what it looks like. This is the evidence. This is what needs to be demonstrated if we are to have that demonstration of love and the demonstration of joy that we're going to talk about today. Now, when you think about it, joy can be the most underrated fruit on the whole list because of this. When you lose your joy, you've lost the capability of doing any of these things. I mean, we know we got to have love in place, but joy is also very important. I mean, it makes it difficult to be kind when you have no joy. It makes it difficult to be patient and long-suffering when there is no joy there. And, and, and so joy, while, listen to this, while love is the motivation on the list of the nine, joy is the attitude of the list. And so you have love and that's the motivation to do these things. But joy is the attitude in which these things take place. Someone has said this. I love this quote. They've said that joy is love smiling. And that is so true. Joy is a constant theme all throughout the Bible. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament, you find the theme of joy everywhere. Matter of fact, according to Scripture, life begins and ends with joy at salvation in life. Nehemiah said this, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Think about that. It's the joy of God. It's the joy that he pours in our hearts that motivates us, that strengthens us. 
to continue to do what he says. And then, of course, at death, there can be joy. Think about it. What's the alternative to life? Death. But where does that lead? To more life. A life like we've never known if we know Christ. Now, Jesus' life was also about joy. At his birth, Mary sang a song. The shepherds rejoiced that he had come. The angels rejoiced. Even the wise men rejoiced so much that they brought gifts. And we see that at his birth. His life was joyful. Those he healed went away joy, uh, rejoicing. Those he taught, there was joy there. His death was joyful. In this study this morning, we're going to find out that even the night before his death, he talked more about joy on that evening than any other time that we read in Scripture. The night before his death, his resurrection brought joy. The ladies were filled with joy. It says he arose just as he said. And then, of course, his ascension was joyful. The disciples were filled with joy. Everything about Jesus was and is about joy. So look at the introduction on your outline. On your outline. The words joy, joyful, and rejoice are mentioned in Scripture approximately 450 times. 450 times. Joy, look on your mouth, begins in the heart, that's where the love is, from an experience with Jesus, that's where grace comes in, that is founded upon the knowledge of God, and there's the faith. Now, this is important. Just as agape love, joy has divine origins. Has divine origins. Joy and happiness are not the same. Happiness is dependent Upon one's circumstance, while joy is not. I want them to play a, a clip. I think we'll be able to get this up. Just pay attention to the clip. I think you'll find it interesting. some of my work right there on my phone. <laughs> I don't really know how to deal. Anyway, I'm not a techie kind of guy, but I want you to see that. Now, what's interesting about what you just saw, we had the privilege to see this. This is actual worship service we attended. And uh, what was interesting about that is uh, we went into one of the homes after this. Y'all, these people have nothing. They have nothing. If we had to live the existence that they have right now, how many of us would have joy like you saw right there? I mean, every time I go on a mission trip, sometimes I will go on a mission trip. Well, the main reason I go is because I want to share the love of Christ with people outside of my world. But here's another reason. Sometimes I just need, I need the checkup. I need to go and see. I need something to, to stir me, to move me. And when you see things like this, did you hear them singing in English for us? And one of the songs that they sang is, My God has never let me down. And as they were singing that, I was looking around and I saw the mud huts and I saw the dirt floors and I saw the children who obviously were doing without. And I, and I looked at the church we were gathered in. What you saw there was the church. It's made up of, of, of just uh, tree poles and, and a thatched roof. And, and I'm looking around and they're singing about how God has never let them down. And the joy that was so evident, like you just saw right there. I mean, they, as we walked up, they were singing about joy. And the, you saw it in, their, in their, their passion as we left. I mean, as we walked away, they continued to sing, us, sing to us as we were leaving. All that was joy. And y'all, that tells me that joy is not determined by how we live. When it, and when it talks about how we live in the context of our life, when it comes to what's around us. It's, it's not found in circumstances. It's all found in, in the Lord. I mean, it's amazing how we can have joy sitting here in all the comforts that we have, but to go there and see it alive and well in something that, in a place that does not have these things, I mean, it just blows your mind. Today, I want us to look at joy from a biblical perspective. First of all, joy is purposeful. The Bible says in Romans chapter 15 that may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. 
so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, joy and the Holy Spirit seem to work hand in hand in a believer's life. And, and so look on your outline. This is, this is joy in salvation from Jesus. Or there is joy in salvation from Jesus. Some have the idea that when you get saved, all the joy is gone from life. And you know why they think that? Because they believe this thing called salvation is based on a list of do's and don'ts. What you can't do and what you can do. No, the joy that we know as Christians, that true joy comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the reason so many times we miss it, that we don't see the joy in salvation because we're basing it on what we can't do and what we now must do. But it's all based on the relationship. And it's very evident if, if you see a person that has that relationship. Some have the idea, or in Acts chapter 8, the Bible says that after the Ethiopian eunuch was saved, the Bible's very clear after his salvation, the Bible says he went away rejoicing. He went away rejoicing. We see that time and time in Scripture. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, rejoice that your name or your names are written in heaven. Now think about that. It doesn't matter how, what's going on with the, your surroundings, your environment, what you don't have, what you do have. The thing that we need to look at and the thing that we had in common with those who are worshiping under this thatched roof uh, or whatever they call the church is the fact that we're going to be in heaven one day and it won't be those who have not, not a whole lot or the have nots or what they don't have and based on those that have do we're all going to come around the throne of God and we're going to worship together and that's what kept coming over and over in my mind as I sat there and listened to this now Jesus compared salvation to a feast not a funeral <laughs> Uh, at salvation, of course, we do know there must be repentance. And, of course, we know that that's a change of direction. And, and it's the sorrow that we should have that we're, before we came to know Christ, that we were an offense to God. And, and so coming to terms with your sin, seeing your sin as God sees your sin, is very important when it comes to, to the joy that can take place in our hearts. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 30, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes when? In the morning. And part of that could be the time in which we are dealing with our sin and coming to terms with our sin and seeing what it's doing to us and seeing how, it, how it's offense to God. There may be sorrow, but guess what? The joy is going to follow. It will come. The Bible also says in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, repent, turn from your sin, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, that they're no longer held against you, that you don't have to live in the context of shame and guilt. I mean, think about that. What does it lead to? So that times of refreshing may come. And where does it come from? From enjoying, listen, the presence of the Lord. It's all about the presence of God in your life. There is great joy in salvation. Next, there is joy in living for Jesus. Joy in living for him. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, God has given us richly, listen to this, all things to enjoy. All things to enjoy. Have you ever thought that as a child of God that everything around you has been created for your enjoyment? Now, not the things that are offense to God, but the things that he created. Now, now, some of us could get kind of self-centered with that attitude and, and walk out there one day and say, all this for me? <laughs> well, in a, in a certain sense, it is. That sunrise that you see, that sunset that you see, the birds, the, the stars, the moon. Joy should characterize the life of a Christian. So here, here's a question for you. Did you wake up this morning with joy in your heart? Did, when, when, when you open your eyes, was there joy that you get to live this next day for him? Here's another question. Last week, maybe even this morning, did you allow someone to steal your joy? It, you know, it's amazing how we, we're so sometimes flipping about our joy. I don't know about you, but I can, I can be in a great mood. And, and by the way, joy is not based on mood, but sometimes it helps to have that, you understand, the mood to come with the joy and all that. But it's amazing how quick that can turn, especially when you're driving. You know, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm throw that out there. But, but it is. It's, it's amazing how, how we're so flippant with our joy and we can just hand it off to someone. But 
joy comes from God. Joy is not conditional. It is a manifestation that takes place in the heart of God's presence in your life. Joy can only come through being right with God and being right with others. And here's an interesting thought. You can't lose your salvation. But you know what you can lose? Your joy that comes with the salvation. David once wrote this. He says, restore in me the joy of my salvation. What does that imply? That he had salvation but didn't have the joy. That there was something in his life that was amiss. And we know his story. We know he, he was an adulterer. He became a murderer. And we know all that. And we know that there must have been some time where he lived in the shame and the guilt. The context of his life was filled with that. But there came a time where he just cried out to God. And he said, Lord, I, I'm tired of this. I don't want anything between us. God, restore the salvation. Restore the joy of my salvation. You see, joy and sin cannot coexist. And so if we want to live in the presence of God, if we want to live where, where God can work in our hearts and, and bring that joy to our lives, then we got to come to terms with what's keeping us from that, and that would be our sin. Next, there is joy in serving Jesus. Joy in serving Jesus. The Bible says in Acts chapter 20, Paul said, he said that I may finish my course with joy. See, Paul's life was a life marked with joy in serving Jesus. That's what, if you were to say, okay, what marked his life? What? He just loved to serve the Lord. He was passionate about it. In Africa, we were there in Zambia, and, and uh, one day we went out uh, to, to meet with another church, to meet the pastor of that church, and uh, just to look at possible things that we can do when we carry a team back next year. And we were looking, and, and what was interesting about it is we were sitting there under this uh, uh, canopy. And, and, of course, the team was up front, and uh, I knew it was going to come my time to preach. And by the way, I didn't think I'd be preaching on this trip. <laughs> I thought we would just be observing. And uh, it's amazing. When you go to Africa, Africa is totally unlike me, okay? Number one, the people are very passionate and emotional, and many times I'm just the opposite. <laughs> I'm just a little bit reserved. And another thing is uh, they don't work on a re regimented time. Uh-uh. Just because you say 11 o'clock, that does not mean that's going to happen at 11 o'clock. And I'm one of those that likes to regiment everything. And most Americans are, I think. And so, so when you look there, but there's one thing that, 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 that just kind of blew all that away. And there were times in which I'd kind of get a little frustrated. Hey, let's kind of move this thing along and that kind of thing. But I was sitting there and we just had this worship. And, and God uh, gave uh, Dan and Jeremy an opportunity to share. And then God allowed me to preach. And, and then I had the privilege of praying for those who came forward who wanted prayer. And I had an interpreter there at telling me what they were saying, what they needed prayer for. And I tell you, I sat down after all that took place and the bishop of that area was up there talking and, and I sat there and I just kind of looked around and I said, this is what it's like to have joy in serving. As much as I miss my family and the comforts at that time, I thought to myself, there's no greater place I want to be than right here, right now. And that's, that's what it should look like. It's not determined when everything's going right. It's not determined when the schedule's being kept. It's not determined when you're around the people you want to be around. It's determined when you sense the presence of God working. And he allows you, listen, to be a part of that work. That is the joy. That's where it comes from. So do you have joy in serving? Or do you believe you're put, we're put here to be served? It's amazing that mentality that we have is we think that we're here so others can serve us. But no, we've been called to serve. One of the greatest joys in life comes from serving others. If you're, if you're like me, I don't know about you, but I don't want to become a grumpy Christian. You remember me talking about this a couple weeks ago? How it seems like the older I get, the more cynical I become. And I really had to fight against that. I really had to surrender and submit myself to the Lord to, to, for him to fill me. But, but sometimes, so, so how do I keep this from happening? And I think the greatest way to do that is to get my eyes off myself and to serve other people. I find that I become grumpy. We'll call it grumpy. We might have other words for it. I find that when I come grump, become grumpy is when I am looking at my life from my perspective and what I desire. 
instead of how I can fulfill the desires of others in doing what God's called me to do. Next, there is joy in sharing. The Bible says in Psalms 126, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. That, this is the whole context of this is, is basically serving the Lord. It's the, the whole context that we read here. It's that whole idea of going and, and putting yourself out there to serve another person. There may not be joy all the time when it comes. There may be times of weeping and, and, and disappointment. But guess what? If you hang in there and you continue to do what God's called you to do, joy will come. Because he is the one actually doing the work. And he's the one making the investment through you. Paul said this many times in his letters that he wrote to the churches. He said that those he led to Christ, those churches he began, those lives that he invested in, he says that was his joy. You know, it's amazing how we find that our joy in America especially is in things. That car, boy, that's my joy out there. Man, I love to get in the car and drive and drive. And, or I like to do this. And, and many times from, coming from a materialistic world, we, we start pointing out those things that bring us joy. But Paul never mentioned any of that. He, he always said that the people, the privilege to serve others was the joy that he found. You see, leading someone to Christ is one of the greatest joys you can have. Investing in the lives of others is the greatest joy that we can have in life. So, so here it is. Do others desire to have the joy that is reflected through your life? I was sitting there. I think the team was sitting there. You saw some of this. And you're sitting there. And I started, I found myself craving the joy that they had. I mean, I did not crave anything else that they had. I'm just going to be honest with you. But I craved the joy that was demonstrated that we saw right there. And, and y'all, that's what it's all about. What is more appealing? A drab, dull, dead, dismal expression of faith? Or a joyful, exciting, exuberant, thrilling expression of faith? That's what's going to draw people. That's what it looks like. A second biblical perspective of joy is joy is powerful. Happiness, think of this, y'all. Happiness cannot endure most of life. How many of you found that to be true? It, it doesn't. Happiness does not cause you to endure a marriage. It doesn't. It's the joy. You see, happiness, as we said earlier, is always circumstantial. There's always circumstances associated with it. There's always, listen, expectations associated with it. And so what happens many times is we have all these things and we say, I'll be happy if these expectations are met, if these circumstances are a certain way, if I could have just this in the midst of that, or if my wife would just act a certain way or my husband act a certain way, if the kids would just get in line. And we have all these demands when it comes to happiness. Joy is nothing like that. Joy is one of those things that you can wear into any circumstance or any situation. It's one of the things where you can go into that situation and you can allow God to speak through you and you can have a refreshing time in the midst of a struggle. Y'all, I've seen people who had joy, as we said earlier, who had nothing. I've seen people who had joy who were literally moment by moment losing their health. And it just blows me away when you see that. But that's what it looks like. You can wear joy anywhere. But happiness has the expectations. It has demands that must be in place for there to be any kind of resemblance of it. But even that's counterfeit because we learned that joy, listen, comes from being in the presence of God. That's where it comes. So joy is powerful. There are things in life that come our way that many would believe would rob us of our joy that do not. How many of you, um, hopefully this is the life you live. You, you do know you were called to be light and salt to this world. You understand that? That's the context of what your life should look like. In the midst of that, you, your life should be demonstrating these nine spiritual fruit. So here's a question for you. How many of you have people that you're connected to outside of your family, so or maybe in your family, that they see you go through something 
And they're astonished at how you dealt with it. Or they're astonished at the attitude that you had as you went through it. Y'all, that's a demonstration of the presence of God in your life, which, which really is a demonstration of joy. And that's what our lives need to look like. So, so look on your outline. There can be joy in persecution. Think about that. The Bible says in Acts chapter 5, And when they had called for the apostles, that's the authorities, and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. They said, no, no you're not. we're going to let you go. We're going to beat you because you need to understand this is a lesson. This is the authorities that back then. And here it is. If you go out there preaching Jesus again, we're going to go through this again. But anyway, they said, don't do that. And they let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They went away rejoicing, saying, I mean, think about the context of this. They went away saying, man, wasn't that such a, that was a great privilege what we just went through. And by the way, the beatings back then, we're not the way we spank our children if we do that. I mean, literally, the flesh could have been peeling away from their back. I mean, we're talking pain. like Some that die from beatings like this. And yet they went away saying, man, that was pretty cool, wasn't it? We, we, we I mean, we were worthy to go through something like that. In Acts chapter 13, we read a little bit further. It says, but the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. They didn't just give up. Let me tell you what many Christians do. When, 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 when the stakes are high and the heat's raised and, and there's nothing in it for them, most, most Christians just say, well, enough of this. I'm not putting myself in that situation again. They didn't. They said, there must be someone out there. There must be someone out, else out there that needs this. And so they, they, and it says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with what? The Holy Spirit. They, they seemed to come. You see, the Holy Spirit represented the presence of God in their life. And they saw it. It was evident to them. Some of you may have experienced this kind of joy. Maybe you've been persecuted at work or wherever you are for doing the right thing. Or you've been persecuted for standing up for the right thing. Guess what? That's a privilege. <laughs> That's something that, 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 that's almost expected to take place in a Christian's life. That's part of the demonstration of us being on trial, knowing that God is working in our lives and that we have salvation is because it's demonstrated sometimes through that means. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. What he's saying there, that they're being persecuted because of me. But you know what? Many times we're persecuted because we're, we do stupid stuff. How many of you notice that? And I know people who think they're being persecuted because they're representing Jesus when they're just really just a jerk. I'm serious. But, but listen, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they rival and persecute you. They come against you with maliciousness. That's what he's saying. And all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets. He's saying, you're not alone who were before you. There's a whole stream of people who've been in this situation. Next, there can be joy in suffering. Joy in suffering, believe it or not, can be experienced together. Did you know that? Some of us think, okay, joy is this, and joy ends when suffering is introduced. And so there's, there's some theology out there that says this. If all of a sudden your joy, if that happiness wears off and you're suffering, there's something extremely wrong with you. <laughs> you, you that can't, they're saying basically those two can't coexist, but according to God's word, they can coexist. It is possible. Matter of fact, James says it. How does it happen? James says this. Most, most of you know these verses. My brother and those who are of the faith, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. When it says various trials, it's, it's everything that you can put under that heading. Everything. Some of you are like, well, I don't know about this one here. Oh, yeah, even that one. The worst one you can ever imagine. 
even that one, knowing that God is at work, that the testing of your faith produces patience. What is patience, by the way? It's one of the spiritual fruit. It's one of the things that should define you as a Christian. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's a whole idea of maturing in Christ. So we have joy in suffering. Next, there can even be joy in death. I've seen that personally. And it brings great comfort to me, someone who, who knows that every one of us apart from Christ coming back are going to deal with that. To walk into a situation and see a Christian there and they know what's, what's ahead. And for them to face it with, with, with peace that surpasses all, all the understanding that I have. And to have joy that's inexpressible. I mean, it's just there. You just see it. So we can have joy in death. Turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Believers can literally have joy when they're faced their own death. I told you this earlier. But the night before Jesus was to start the process of his own death on the cross, he met with his disciples. Okay? He had a meeting with them. He talked about joy. He talked about the vine and the branches. You remember the story, John chapter 15? Then he started talking about how he was praying for them and how he was praying for those to come. Do you know that Jesus speaks more of joy the night before all the events are going to take place that we find so horrifying? The very night before that, he spoke more about joy than any other time in his ministry. Does that not just blow you away? I want you to see it for yourself. John chapter 15, look at verse 11. He says this. This is Jesus talking. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. He's basically saying that he was full of joy. Now, here's an interesting thought. Did Jesus know what kind of events he'd be facing here in the next little while? We know that because of the Garden of Gethsemane. We know that part of what he had to deal with was, was horrifying. Even to him, the God-man. And again, it had nothing to do with what the, the Romans were going to do to him or the Jews were going to do to him. It had everything to do with what the Father had to do, do to him on our behalf. And so we know that he looked at this. It was a, a horrifying image that he knew that he had to face. But yet the night before all those proceedings were to start, he's sitting there talking about his own joy and how he hopes that that same joy could be passed on to them. By the way, when you, if you ever do a study of the apostles and how they died, did you know they faced death the same way? They counted it a joy to suffer and die for the cause of Christ. I mean, it's interesting. Look at uh, John chapter 16. Look at verse 20. Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Now, Jesus is talking about his impending death. He's talking about when all these things take place, when, when I'm killed, when they take me out. He's saying, listen, you're, you're going to have sorrow. You're going to lament. Now, think of this, y'all. He's talking to the disciples. Why would they have extreme sorrow after that? Here's why. Because they sold out to Jesus three years ago. They gave three years of their life to this man that offered hope to them. They, they, I mean, they, they, it was amazing. They, they were seeing all these different things. And, of course, they didn't want Jesus to leave. And they wanted him to, to be there. To, some of them had ideas of, the, of him leading them in a revolution. And all these different things. And so when he talks about his impending death, he says, yeah, you're going to lament. You're going to be sorrowful. You're going to hate that I'm gone. Some of you had expectations of my, my coming. Demands that some of them expressed. But let me just tell you this. That has nothing to do with why I'm here. And there's going to be something that you can count on. When I go, you are going to suffer. You, there are going to be some things that come into your life that you're going to be mournful, that you're going to be grieving about. The world's going to celebrate, but you won't. It's going to be different for you. And then he goes on and says, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into what? Joy. Joy. He said, it's only for a little while. And then he says in verse 21, something I can't relate to, but you ladies can. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. It's time for delivery. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, 
She no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. You ladies. And by the way, we, you do realize that we men suffer too. And you do that to us. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but, but think about that, that woman. She's there. And you have the privilege, not the privilege, but you see the sorrow and the anguish and everything it takes to bring life into this world. And yet, not long after that, she could possibly be talking about the next child. And us men are sitting there saying, I'm glad you're the woman. <laughs> but he's comparing it to that story of how, is it, for that moment, there is anguish, there is sorrow, there's, oh my goodness, what is happening to me? And then all of a sudden, it gives way to the fact that there can be joy. And then it says in verse 23, And in that day you will ask nothing. Most sincerely I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. You know when he says you've asked nothing in my name? Here's really what, he's almost rebuking them in a way. He's almost saying you've asked nothing that is suitable for the kingdom of God. You, uh, you still aren't getting it. We know that from other conversations. But he's saying it's going to come. You're going to get it one day. You're going to have sorrow. He, he almost is saying this. You need to have the same perspective I do on my own death. That there can be joy because guess what? There's something greater to come. And Jesus is telling them, yeah, there's going to come that time and you're going to lament and you're going to be sorrowful and you're going to, you're going to hate what's happening and, and you're going to wonder what in the world's going on. But then all of a sudden, joy is going to come and fill that void that all that leaves because he's going to do as he promised. And then it goes on, until now you've asked nothing in my name. I mean, you've asked nothing worthwhile. And ask, and you will receive that your joy, what? May be full. I mean, that, that you'll be, listen, when your joy is full, think about when something is full, when it's moved, what has the potential of happening? It sloshes everywhere. <laughs> it literally leaves the container and, and, and pours upon others. And that's what we're looking at here. Turn to 17, chapter 17, look at verse 13. It says, but now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that you may have, that my joy fulfilled in themselves. He, this is his prayer for his disciples. And by the way, who will become his disciples? We will. And here's, here's his prayer. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy. Even though the night before, the horrifying things I'm going to deal with, there is joy here, a joy that I want them to partake of. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. You look at this, and, and, and from the world's perspective, and many times our own perspective, it's like, how does this even happen? This is supernatural. This is supernatural joy. A last biblical perspective of joy. Joy is cheerful. And it's cheerful, look on your outline, in the pardon of Jesus, in the pardon of Jesus. How does all this affect us? Matthew chapter 9 says this. Jesus told the paralytic, he said, son, be of good cheer, have joy, for your sins are forgiven. Now think about this. The paralytic was probably cheerful and had joy because he'd been healed. There was something physically that was done to him. Okay, how many of you, if, you'd, if you've been limping around all your life or possibly not even capable of walking, take care of yourself, how many of you would have joy if all of that went away? That's what he had joy about, but Jesus was pointing out that there's a greater joy that can come to your life. And that's the fact that you can be forgiven and you can be bound for heaven. And that's what he's pointing out here. So many times we focus on the physical. God changed this in the physical world that I may have this. Again, what are we talking about? God changed the conditions or changed the context of my life so I can be happy, so I can have joy. When sometimes he's saying, uh-uh, you're missing the bigger meaning. That may be part of it. I can bring healing. But how many of you have noticed that sometimes he leaves you right there where you are? And it causes you to scratch your head and say, well, wait a minute. I heard that TV preacher the other day say that if I had enough faith, all this could be removed. <laughs> and that's false theology. That's not necessary. Sometimes he leaves you right there and he says, uh, -uh we're not going to do this right now. Even though he could bring the healing, change the circumstances. Sometimes he says, no, we're going we're to deal with you right here. And he says, I'm going to give you something greater than healing. 
than changing the circumstances. I'm going to give you something greater in the midst of that. And you know something? If he just, surely we'd love to see him change everything about where we are. And we'd like to see that take place. I'm there. There's things right now I'm praying about. God, let's move it over here. I'd like to deal with you in the context of this over here. And if God, if I had that, then maybe I could have that joy you're talking about. Uh -uh, Sometimes God says, no, we're going to deal with it right here. And he's not being cruel in doing that. You know why? Because he knows us better than we know ourselves. He says, we're going to deal with you right here. Could he do this? He did that for the paralytic. But sometimes he chooses not to. Think of this, y'all. All the healings that he did in the Gospels that we read about. The Bible sometimes even doesn't make it personal. It says, and he went to this village and he healed many and he did this. Some of them are just kind of lumped in. Think about this. Think of the people who weren't healed. Do you think there might have been some of those laying around? Do you think it would have been hard to see your neighbor over there get totally delivered from what they're dealing with and you're still where you are? Sometimes we look at Christians around us and we think, God, do you love them more than you love me? Do you care more for them than you care me for me? That sometimes we, and here's where we get in trouble, y'all. This is where I get in trouble. When I start looking around at what everyone else is enjoying, when I start looking at all the blessings these other people have, and I start looking at what I don't have, that's when joy leaves. We got to look at our lives in the context of our own lives and let Him speak to us. Let Him deal with us what He wants. And, and let's face the facts, y'all. When we came to know Him, how did we come to know Him? As our Savior and our what? The Lord Jesus Christ. The master, the one that's doing his own work. But guess what? We can have a pardon in all this. The sin that has caused our shame and guilt, think about this, can be pardoned. Next, joy is cheerful in the presence of Jesus. The disciples in the middle of a storm, you remember that, you remember that scene? Jesus is walking on the water. The disciples cry out. I mean, they, they cry out. They say, Jesus said to them, be of good cheer. Okay, they're crying out. Why are they crying out? They were in terrible circumstances. I mean, their life could have been dismissed at that time. These were fishermen. They knew it must have been terribly bad. And he says, don't worry about it. It is I. Be of good cheer. Don't be afraid. (laughs) How many of you cried out to God and felt like you got the same response? And you're sitting there like, come on, (laughs) do something. In this case, what did he do? He did do something. That God received the glory in that situation. Guess what? Many times he'll do that. He will do that. But there are times where he does not. And we know that from the, of, of where we live. And y'all, here's what you need to understand. The joy that we're experiencing or the joy that he wants us to have is not based on circumstances, not based on happiness, not based many times even on emotion. It's not based on those things. He wants us to get to the point that no matter what we deal with, no matter what thing we may face, that his joy is there. And that's what, that's what he's looking for in our lives. And guess what? Here's what I know about Scripture. Everything I've read about, read about joy, you know what a syn- synonym of joy is? Some of you say, Jesus, others, and you. Yeah, that may be it. <laughs> but the synonym of it is this. A synonym of joy, listen, is the presence of God in your life. That is really what it is. It's not the circumstances. It's not God fixed this so this can happen. It's just enjoying his presence no matter where we are. That's what he's looking for. Mark In Mark, it says this. They cried out. Jesus said, be of good cheer. It is I. When he said, it is I, what was he, say? What was he making them aware of? My presence is with you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You're going to get through this. Next, a last biblical perspective of joy. Joy, I'm sorry. Here it is. It's showing up now. Next, joy in the power of Jesus. The Bible says in John chapter 16, be of good cheer. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Paul and Silas, you remember this story? Were imprisoned in Rome. Dirty cell, probably bugs and rats infested the place. No pillow, no comforts. Let me just tell you how spoiled we are as Americans. We went into a room while we were there. No air conditioning. I thought, "Uh uh-uh, this is not going to work. Started praying, oh God, you got to do something about this. <laughs> I opened the closet and guess what was there? A fan. I was like, hallelujah. You know? <laughs> I mean, there's certain comforts that I look at that I hold in high regard, you know. 
And, and what was interesting about this is Paul and Silas are there probably experiencing things we can't even imagine. And we're whining about a fan or air conditioning. And it says, can you imagine Paul saying to Silas, Silas, you got any Tylenol? My head is killing me. <laughs> Silas, can you believe this is happening to us? We've done all these things for God. He's abandoning us here in the cell. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? We could be dead tomorrow. Is that what we read in God's Word? We don't read anything like that. Listen to what we read. I mean, and it says, the Bible says in the midnight hour that Paul and Silas began to pray and sing praises to the Lord. While singing the praises, God apparently got happy. Because you know what the Bible says he did? He shook the whole place. Now, don't tell that to the people in Nepal. They, they're, they're, bless their hearts, they're dealing with something. But there was something that was evident that God just shook the place. And, and there was something that was going on. When you have the joy of the Lord, nothing can take it away. It says, and the disciples were filled with joy, and here it is again, and with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit represents to us the presence of God. The joy and the presence of God work together. They're of the same. Here's the application. As one surrenders to the Holy Spirit's control, joy begins to flow on the inside, then to the outside. Now, here's the conclusion. You remember back in the fall, we, I think we, I, no, I'm sorry, a couple years ago, we did the study on Philippians. I want to give you an outline of Philippians. I want you to study it for yourself. I want you to see how much joy is talked about in this book. Six ways to build joy. We take it right out of God's word. Here it is. Number one, invest in the lives of others. Invest in the lives of others. Here it is again. Paul did not say his joy came from the things he had. Paul said the joy that he had had from serving other people and seeing God move in the lives of other people. That's where it came from. Number two, yield to the purposes of God. This is where we need to understand our life is really not about ourselves. It's about what he desires to do in and through it. Number three, put behind the past. So many times we get bound up because of our regrets and sometimes even because of our rewards, which is really our accomplishments. There's a lot of you sitting here today and you think, I mean, I hate to be offensive to you, but this is, your, this is some of your thought processes. You think, well, I served the Lord in this church 20 years ago and I served 20 years and if it's okay with the military to retire after 20 years or 25 years, I guess it's good for God's king. No, that ain't the way it works. You got to get away from all that. You got to get rid of that mindset. We serve him, listen, until the, the last breath. <laughs> Here's another one. Trust God with the future. Many of us are paralyzed by fear. Fear of what may happen to our children. Fear of what may happen to our grandchildren. And we sit there and we're all bound up. There's no joy. There's no way it can get in because we're, we're just so focused, not on joy, not on, the, not on what God wants to do. We're so focused on the circumstances and all the different things that we, we have fear. And, and I'm talking about daily and for eternity. And then focus on the present. Don't let people steal your joy. Don't let worry steal your joy. Let me ask you a question. Let's just be honest with each other. How many of you are worried about something right now sitting in this seat? Raise your hand. There's something that's glaring at you. That's most of you. Read what God's word has to say about it. He wants to do a work. I mean, we all are there. We, every one of us are experiencing this. Don't let ne negativity steal your joy. A lot of times, here's what we think. I just need to get around all these. I need to get away from all these negative people in my life, and maybe something good will happen. Let me tell you something. <laughs> if that's the case, you're giving them. You're, you're letting them come in and steal all that. Joy, doesn't, it doesn't matter where you are. You can have it. And, and many times it's our own doing. And then here's the key. Learn to be content. Learn to be content. Learn that God has a place for you and where you are may be where God wants to work in your life. Be grateful. The Bible says rejoice in what? All things. Again, I say what? Rejoice. You know what, you know what I think he repeats that? He says, I know you're going to look at it and you're going to think there is no way I can do it. But let me remind you, again, I say what? Rejoice.
and that God can do great things. I want to close with this story. Several years ago, coming back from Israel, a group of us stopped in London. Some of you may have been on the trip. It was back when we took the first tour and the former pastor was with us. I know Jane Wright. I think Jane was with us. Some of you others may have been there. We went to Buckingham Palace, so we got to see a little bit of London. And someone was on the bus and they said this, well, the queen must not be here. And I remember asking the person how they knew that because they were sitting next to me. I said, how did you know that? She said, because if she were here, if royalty were here, the flag would be flying. And that lets you know that royalty is, is dwelling in the home at this time. And, and, and what's interesting about that, I heard someone say this relating to the story. This joy, in our, relating to the joy in our lives. Here, here it is. Listen to this quote. Joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of our heart when the king is in residence. That's pretty cool when you think about it. And y'all, <laughs> that's what it looks like. When his presence is there, when you sense his presence, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It doesn't matter what's coming your way. Listen, you're still concerned about your children. You're still concerned about your grandchildren. But guess what? You can still just be caught up in the presence of God in such a way that your joy, listen, is not only a glimpse of it there, your joy may be full, may be full. That's what God wants to do in your life. Would you stand to your feet? Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, I just thank you that you have a way to speak to the hearts of your people greater than anything I could ever do. And Father, I just thank you that you take your word to penetrate our hearts in such a way that you want to bring transformation. And Father, I just pray if there's someone here today who doesn't know you as our Lord and Savior, maybe they've never even sensed what I'm talking about. Father, maybe they have a desire to know you in an intimate way. Not to just show up and do the religious duty that many do or, or just say, hey, I read this or I don't do this. But to say, hey, I want a genuine relationship with this one you call Jesus. And maybe today they want to place their faith in you. Father, I pray that you draw them to you. Father, maybe there's a Christian here today, just as I am many times. And, and there seems to be no joy. Their perspective of it is all wrong. They think it's about the circumstances. They think it's about the conditions. They think about, well, if, if everyone's doing right around me, then it may be in place. But Lord, help us to realize that joy can come no matter what we're dealing with. And maybe we just need to, to understand, like we have today, that joy is not built on emotion. It's not built on the circumstance. It's enjoying the presence of who you are no matter where we are. Father, I pray, Lord, if that's not a reality in someone's heart here today, that by the time they leave this place, whether it's get around this altar or have a pastor pray for them or just make a commitment right there where they are, to Lord, to just say, hey, I want my joy to be full. And Lord, the reason I want my joy to be full is because in your word, you prayed that your joy may be full in my life. And God, I'm here and I'm a willing participant and I want it in my life. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Just do what God's calling you to do, would you? Would you sing with us this morning?